0: We're going to talk about, this morning, guess. Love. I'm the love doctor. And this is my love congregation. And we're just getting into love. We've been on love for a long time uh, and can't get enough of it. We're turning this entire church into a classroom of outrageous lovers, learning how to be an outrageous lover. Uh, And so, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 13, we're examining what love looks like and what love doesn't look like. Paul says, love is patient. We've preached on that. Love is kind. we preached on that, and this morning we're going to talk about how love is not envious. Everybody say, love is not envious. Is not envious. Yeah, okay, if you're walking in love, you don't envy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, spoken in kind of the typical patriarchal language of the Old Testament, and it's a little bit offensive to modern ears, but you should have seen what God had to work with in the culture around. I mean, as bad as it is for women in the Old Testament, it was way worse in the culture around. It's God's way of kind of easing you know, humanity into a, uh, a, a better perspective. But anyways, here's how it goes. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, which that's one more of his property. You see, he owns it. Or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The point is, if it's his, it's his, and don't go longing for it. Don't coveting it. Don't, don't uh, be wanting to own it. Proverbs 14.30, A heart at peace gives life to the body. It is good for your health to live in peace, to be content. You know that? People who are content live longer. They're, they live healthier. It's, it's been uh, proven. But envy rots the bones. People who live in envy, there's a, there's a bitterness, there's a cancer, a spiritual cancer there that uh, just eats away at you at the core of your being. 1 Peter chapter 2, Rid yourselves of all malice all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And those things, by the way, kind of go hand in hand for reasons that uh, I think we'll explore a little bit later on. Rather, Peter says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what Peter's saying there is simply this. You've tasted the Lord. You've had a blessing. you, you You see that He's good. Now go all the way with it. How many of you know that it's possible just to keep on tasting all your life? A little savor here, a little savor there, a little sip here, a little sip there. Uh, But you never go all the way with it. And what Peter's saying is grow up in your salvation. Don't stay babies. Grow up in your salvation. And when you do, you're going to be growing out of malice. You're going to be growing out of hypocrisy, deceit. You're going to be growing out of envy and growing out of slander. And the reason is because to grow up in Christ means to grow up in love. And those things are the opposite of love. Okay, I want to talk specifically about envy, but to get at that, I want to paint a broad picture. This is kind of review for a lot of us. It'll be new for those of you who have been just coming the last several months. But I I want to paint this broad picture because I want us to see the inner logic of 1 Corinthians 13. These are not little arbitrary things that Paul points up that, that love is the opposite of. There's something that holds them all together. And I want us to get the big picture as we start to, before we pick apart the little trees... God is a God of love. God is love, 1 John 4, 6. And as we, we showed oh, several months ago now, uh, God is unsurpassable love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why we represent Him as a triangle. He is love itself, the very definition of what love is. Out of His love, God created the world. Out of His love, God created us. God, love loves to express itself, so God wants to express Himself towards others. And so he creates beings who have a desperate need for him. It's a great arrangement. God wants to give, so he creates beings who need him to give. So he creates us. He creates us with a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. That's why I represent us as a triangle. There are needs in our life that only God can fill. The need to feel important, the need to feel like you're worthwhile, the need to feel significant, the need to feel like you have a purpose, the need to feel like you're never going to be alone. In other words, the need to feel loved, unconditionally loved. Love not because of how you look or what you do, but love just because of who you are. And only God can fully and perfectly meet that need. It's a beautiful arrangement. And in God's design, he'd pour his love out towards us like that waterfall we saw, His love would be being poured into us. We would then flow, reflect love back to Him. That's our worship. That's our living for Him. We reflect the worth that He has for us after He reflects the worth that we have for Him. And then we overflow towards others. And in God's perfect design, the purpose for which God created the world, every individual would be getting life from God. Every individual would be giving life back to God. And every individual would be overflowing with love towards one another that comes from God. And the whole thing would glorify God. God's glory, it's just the radiance or the display of his being and his being is love. So the entire world becomes a sort of, if this works for you, a fractal of the Trinity, a microcosm of the Trinity, a display, a model, a mini version of the Trinity. God is glorified. The, the, The creation mirrors who God is. That's why God created the world. And the whole world is like one mirror of the beauty and the love and the unsurpassable, ecstatic union of the the triune God. That's why we exist. But as you know, sin entered the world. And sin is all about turning to ourself and away from God, trying to be self-sufficient rather than God-dependent. And so sin blocks God's love flowing into us. This is the fall, what the Bible calls the fall, or living in the flesh, or living in Adam. These are all synonymous terms. Sin is like a vault that deflects the love of God from coming to us. But we still have that God-shaped vacuum in our soul. It never goes away. It's non-negotiable. It's part of your essence. You still need worth and significance. You need to feel like someone's always going to be with you. You still long for that. But you see, if God's not meeting that need, now you've got to look to something else or someone else to meet that need. And you become a veritable black hole. That just wants to suck up everything that's around you. Instead of overflowing with love out of a fullness that we have in and of ourselves, we now live life not out of celebration but in desperation, trying to get what God has already given to us for free. You see, and say we, we're not getting life from God, so we try to get life from those around us, from things around us. We create a world of idols. An idol is anything in our life that we are using to fill a role that only God can fulfill. Trying to suck a little bit of worth and significance and meaning and purpose and affirmation and self-esteem out of these things, that's what an idol is. Living in this way is, is uh, living in the knowledge of good and evil. That's why the Bible describes the original fall as eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because what happens is when we live life out of a hunger, out of an emptiness rather than out of a fullness... We've got to always be judging things. We judge them in terms of whether they're beneficial or not to feed the hunger in our soul. We we, we move into the center of the garden and uh, we put ourselves as though the world revolves around us and the purpose for everything is to meet our needs. So we wear spectacles, a grid that filters everything in terms of good and evil. That's why we're addicted to judgment and all of that blocks love. You see how this is going? All, All by way of review. But see, here's the thing. And this brings us to envy. When we live out of a a center of emptiness and desperation rather than a center of fullness, when we live in the I-gotta-get mode rather than I-want-to-overflow mode, then what happens is the world becomes a stage, a game where everyone's competing for the resources. Human beings sink down to the level of of the fallen animal kingdom where it becomes a matter of survival of the fittest. Because there's only so many gods to go around. There's only so many resources to go around. And everybody is, is, is doing this black hole suction thing that I'm talking about. So everyone's competing for worth. Everyone's trying to get the resources. Everyone's trying to get the attention. Everyone's trying to get the money. Everyone's trying to get the goods. Everyone's trying to get the security. And not everyone can win at this. Envy is the word we use to describe the feeling we have when we lose in the competition game. When someone else gets what we want to get, we call it envy. It's that feeling of resentment, that anger, that I want, that that sense of it should have been me, why can't I have, that perpetual longing. You're in the competition game of scrapping up a couple morsels of worth from the world around you, and somebody got the morsel that you were going for, and now you're mad at them. And that is called envy. Envy. And it rots the bones. It gets into the soul. It is, a, it is a cancer. It's important that we see the difference between envy and justice. Envy There's a sense of, of uh, justice in envy, but it's perverted. Uh, we are born with a sense of fairness. We are made in the image of God. We reflect God's character. And so we have a sense, an inbuilt sense of fairness and justice, and that's a good thing. But see, because of the fall because of the blocking of God's life flowing into us, because we're trying to get life, now our sense of fairness gets bent in on ourselves. That sense of it's not fair, life's not fair, what about me, is, is, is what happens when our sense of justice gets curved in on ourselves. We need to keep the two very much apart. Sometimes people who are standing up for justice get accused of being envious but the two very different things. For example, if you get denied a promotion because the other person's better qualified than you and you sit around moping about it, being resentful about it, not liking the person, backbiting them and all that stuff, that is envy. Okay? Because it's just about you. But if you get denied a promotion because you won't sleep with the boss and that person did, now it's a justice issue. You see, because it's about a system. If you don't get the promotion because that person's uh, male and you're a female, that's a justice issue. If you don't get the promotion because that person's white and you're not, that's a justice issue, you see. And uh, because it's bigger than yourself. It's not just about justice being curved in on yourself. You're looking at things and saying, this system, there's something uh, in this system that prevents fairness from happening. If you don't get a house uh, that you would like to get because you can't afford it. You look at your neighbor's house and it's nice and it's big and it's got all these you know, little extravagances and you look at that and it's like, why can't I have that house? And the only reason is that you can't afford it because your job doesn't pay that much and you resent the other person for having that house. That's envy. That's envy. You're longing for something that you, you're coveting your neighbor's house. But if, if, if you can't get that house only because the bank won't give you the same kind of mortgage deal that they give white folks, that's a justice issue. That's not envy. You see, that's a legitimate justice issue. Or if you can't get that house because the realtor won't show it to you because they're redlining that area because you know the people of that area won't want certain types of living there. Now, that's a justice issue. What we've got to see is this. God is really against envy because it hurts us. But God is really for justice because it helps us. And what God wants the body of Christ to be is a people who have a sense of justice, but it's not curved in on themselves. They have a sense of justice, but they're looking towards other people. They have a sense of justice, but they're looking towards the systems of things. The Bible says in Amos chapter 5, the Lord says, let justice roll like waters. We're supposed to be a people who fight for justice, but not a people who are addicted to envy. Two very, very different things here. Envy is is an erosion of the soul. It's we sink down to a pathetic level, almost a toddler level of what about me, 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 me kind of thing, and we envy what other people have. We long for what other people have. And if we're honest about it. We'll see that uh, it characterizes a lot of our lives. In fact, if if you look at it in the Bible, you see it all over the place. One of the first sins. In fact, the first sin. Adam and Eve What did the Lord tempt him with? Not what the Lord tempt him with. Rebuke that thought. What did the the serpent tempt him with? (laughs) He gave him a false view of the Lord. The Lord is threatened by you. You can have what he's got. So the serpent gets Eve to envy God. That's a bad deal. And he says, you know what? If you just reach out and get that tree there, the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, then you'll be like God. And so, boom, he motivates Eve to now move in and, and do what God had forbidden. Right after, right after that, you have Cain murdering Abel. Why? Envy. God likes your sacrifice better than my sacrifice, so you kill the guy. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Why? Because dad liked him best, and he got a better coat than the rest of us. Envy. And so they, 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 they sell him into slavery. David, he's got a thousand wives. But there's one he doesn't have, and she's the best-looking one, don't you know? And it's not fair that the king should go without the best-looking gal. And so he's walking along his roof there and spots Bathsheba. You know, little voyeurism going on there. And uh, she's taking a shower, and David says, i got to have her. So he gets her. He envies Uriah. Eventually has Uriah killed. Envy is nasty business. And it really gets into all of our lives. You know, most of the time when I preach on sin here, it's really hard for me to find examples in my own life because I'm such a righteous guy. (laughs) <laughs> that was too obvious of a joke i guess but when it comes to envy when i look at my life i just see envy going on all over the place and i bet you will too if you're honest with yourself in first grade there's this kid all the girls liked him and i wanted all the girls to like me there is nothing that taps into envy like sexual competition And in first grade, you can't really call it sexual, although I was pretty filled with testosterone from the start. But, uh, you know, it's you want the girls to notice you, and they're noticing this other guy because he's so whatever, the way he wears his hair or whatever. I remember even trying to imitate the way he did things so that I could get some other girls, and they never came. And I hated him. Oh, and then the playground one time, we're running around really fast, and he also was right in front of me, and I just pushed him as hard as I could. And he fell on the ground, scraped up his arm, went crying. What a sissy, boy. Went back, crying back to the, to the nun. The nun came and got me. And Pre-Vatican nuns, man. They were militant soldiers. Mr. Boyd! They, 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 I'm telling you. And uh, why did you do that to so-and-so? And I didn't even know why. It just came... I was so full of this rotting stuff. I didn't even think about it. I just did it. And so I said, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I, and then I finally just said, I don't like him, which didn't sell real well to, to the nun. But that's what envy does. Sixth grade even got worse. And there's this, uh, we all had to try out for a solo in the choir, and I didn't get it. Mark got it. And, and Mark had this beautiful crystal voice that I hated. And uh, the, the, the evening of the concert... You know, all the parents are there. Everyone's there. And I'm just one of the gang in the choir, little me singing the backup. And all of a sudden, the song comes on, and Mark goes out there and stands in front of the microphone and the spotlight on him. And I'm just like, and all the girls are looking at him. At least that's what I assumed. And he sings this song. I remember one of the phrases. I only remember this part of it. Little bird in the tree. And it was such a pretty song. You know, and all the girls are like, you know, having those Google eyes, and and see, you remember, bicycle mind. I wanted, I was the Elvis Presley here, I was the guy who was supposed to pick up the guitar and start playing on the beach, and all the girls were gonna, you know, follow me. And now he's stealing my show. This is my morsel of worth. This is my life, and I hate him for it. In fact, all the guys hated him for it. So we started making up stuff about him. You know, that that, that that's gossip. Usually, is about envy. You know, if you can't win at the game, at least you can, in the eyes of those who are around you, make them look as much of a loser as you are. That's what gossip's all about. Let's try to make them look as much of a loser as we, so all the kids are like, oh, yeah, he's, and the thing about this is that you don't grow out of it very easily. You know, it'd be nice if when you turn 12, all of a sudden it's gone, but it doesn't work like that. I remember in grad school, there was this kid, I was working three part-time jobs, supporting a family of two, driving this $200 car, this old, man, this thing was a beater, smoked while you were, you know, driving it. And, uh, uh, you know, but I I was getting three hours of sleep a night and and getting the work done. And there's this one guy here, this mommy's boy, Ivy League mommy's boy. And and he didn't have to work at all. He didn't have any responsibilities. All he had to do was study. That's all he had to do. I'm working 40 hours a week. And we sit in this conference room before the doctoral seminar started, and he starts whining about how much work there is to do and how the professors are so unfair that they, they assign all these books that we're supposed to read. And I wanted to reach over the table and choke them to death, slowly. <laughs> it's not fair that you can afford. And he drove a Mercedes Benz. If, you're gonna, if you can afford a Mercedes Benz, don't drive it while in grad school because all it's going to do is tick all the other grad students off. And he wore these, never mind, I'm not going to get into the, the whole... I'm sure he ate cray-poupon, and I judge him for it. <laughs> now, See, this, this, this is envy. You know what I'm talking about. It gets in there. It's like, it's so unfair. It's just, what about, you know, your sense of justice is getting bent on yourself. And What it does is this. Number one, it blocks. It blocks the flow of love because you cannot ascribe worth to someone. You're competing with for worth. You cannot ascribe worth to someone. That's what love is. Ascribing unconditional, unsurpassable worth to another person. That's what we're all called to do. But you can't do that if you're both scrabbling for the same morsel of worth. All right? It gets into, secondly, it gets in the bones and it makes you miserable. When someone wins at the game that you're trying to win at, it makes you miserable. Let me say this. Envy is always uh, idol-specific. Or envy is always competition-specific. You don't mind if someone's successful in an area that you don't care about. You can be... If you get a Nobel Prize for poetry, I don't, I, I, I. can genuinely be happy for you in that because... I gave up on poetry a long time ago. If you read my poetry a long time ago, you'd see why I gave up on it. So I, I, I'm not into that one. Or you can drive the nicest car in the world, and I don't care because cars aren't my gig. I really could care less, even though I was mentioning it with that guy. Cars are not... Really, I'm free of the car addiction. Please believe me. I, I, it's, not, um, it's not my gig. I don't really care. But you see, if you have an area that, that, that is important to you, maybe scholarship, winning book awards. How come I didn't get the book award? You see, when, when, when you're playing my game... I want to win. You see, and we're, we're all scrapping for the same worth. If looks are, are your idol, then the good looking person is your competition. If cars are your idol, then the guy with the fast car is your competition. If houses are your idol, then the person with the bigger house is your competition. You see, if, if uh, security and, and accumulation of possessions is your idol, then the person who's got a little bit more than you is your competition. And it makes you miserable. You can't genuinely be happy for them when they get more. You may say, "Oh, I'm so happy for you," but inside you're thinking, "Oh, I wish I had that." Life is so unfair. What about you know? And actually, it's worse. It gets you so miserable that deep down, in some recess of your heart, that maybe you're not willing to admit to yourself yet. You hope they lose it, and when they do lose it, there's a part of you that's happy about it. And isn't that ugly? Aren't we ugly? If, if we peel back all of the religious layers and things that we keep in front, isn't there a part of us? I remember watching a kid do a drum solo at a state contest when I was like in eighth grade, and I was competing for the top prize in this drum contest, and he was the only competition I had, and I remember praying that he would drop his stick and make a fool out of himself. Is that not ugly? Is that just, you know, that was before I got perfect, okay? So just come in <laughs> some stuff. But it's, you, we've done that. You know, something, oh, isn't that terrible what happened to them? Yes. You know, because if we can't have it, at least they shouldn't have it too. That's, that's the mind. It's, it makes you miserable. It's a miserable, pathetic, juvenile, juvenile toddler way to live. But see, if you're running on empty, it's going to characterize your life because you're in the competition game. And what it means when you don't win is you feel envy. It's going to be there. And sometimes, thirdly, it leads to even worse sins. It leads, as I mentioned before, to gossip. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about gossip. And that's just a way of trying to diffuse, trying to diffuse the victory that they have in the competition, trying to bring them down to our loser level. That's what gossip is all about. Sometimes it goes even beyond that. Do you remember, uh, some of you read this about five years ago, I guess it was, that mother who had that girl killed because she got the cheerleading position she wanted her daughter to have? You know, that's, and we think, oh, that's just terrible or ugly. But you see, the only difference between that and, and us, at least in our, in our worst moments, is that she had the, the guts to do it. <laughs> you know, I, I had some mechanisms that kept me from choking that guy at Princeton, but a part of me wanted to do it. So I am not in a position to stand over her. Envy is ugly stuff. And what's, the reason why we have to look at it so seriously, because it characterizes so much of our life, if we're honest with ourselves, What's really pernicious about envy, and it's true of all these things that that display a lack of love in our life, is that we cannot get out of them on our own. You cannot just will your way out of it. You can't just say, I'm going to really try hard not to be envious. I challenge you to do that. I will not envy, I will not envy, I will not envy. It's not going to work. This isn't the kind of thing that you can just will yourself out of. And that's why I could sit up here and say, "Say, what kind of Christians are you that you envy? How terrible, how ugly, how putrid, how diabolical that you envy. I don't envy, why do you envy? And I can just try to shame you and lie through my teeth as I'm doing it. And all that will do is this. It maybe will motivate you to go out and try not to envy But in the end, you will envy. Because if you're running on empty, you've got to get that need filled. That's a non-negotiable need. You're going to be trying. You're going to be scraping for the morsels of food. And when someone else gets the morsel that you were going after, boom, you resent that. And you can't will yourself out of it. All shaming ourselves about envy will do is create a, a more vicious vacuum that causes a more vicious suction that causes more envy. You see, it's a cycle. That's why shooting at behavior never works. There's something far more fundamental going on. So how, how can we be free of envy? How can we be free of envy? And the answer, in the end, and Paul's given it to us, is to be filled with love. When you can ascribe unsurpassable worth to a, another person, you've, you're free from having to compete with, worth, uh, compete with that person for worth. Let me say two things about it. Number one, to get free of envy. Give up the, on the competition game you got to die to the competition game. you got to quit. Have you ever been in a game where you're playing and you realize you're going to lose, so you just quit? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know what? Let's just quit. you just got to quit. Quit altogether. You die to it. The world calls winning the competition life. Oh, you really have got the good life when you've got all the things that people are generally competing for. Mark Twain said that every human being lives in such a way. The highest aspiration of every human being. And Mark Twain was really cynical, but that's why he's usually right. Uh, The highest aspiration of every human being is to get others to envy them. And that's kind of true, I think. you know. Well, the only way to be free of this is to opt out of the competition. I quit. I'm, I'm not doing this gig any longer. The world calls life, fullness of life, winning in that competition. The Bible calls that life death. And the way to get life is to die to that life. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 10. Those who find their life, those who win the competition, will lose it. And those who lose their life, you quit the competition, for my sake will find it. The answer to getting free from envy is to die. It's to die. I've never yet met a corpse that envied. Uh, You know, when, when you're dead, you're free from all of that. And I'm not saying go out and commit suicide, but I'm saying, in a sense, to commit suicide to the game that, this, that, that the world calls life, trying to scrape up the morsels of worth. you got to die to that. You die to the idols. You die to aspiring to get defined by what you can get, what you can acquire, what you can possess, how much recognition you can get, how much do people notice you, are you getting your fair shake? You die to that. You die to living out of a center of desperation in yourself. You die to that. Ask yourself this question. Aren't you, especially you who maybe are struggling in this right now, aren't you getting tired of it? This game is exhausting. you got to start new every day. It's perpetual. It's nonstop. And it never satisfies. Even when you're winning at it, you're losing at it. Because even if you get the morsel of worth you're aspiring towards, it's not an unconditional worth, and that's what you're hungry for. It's not a permanent worth, and that's what you're hungry for. It's not a full worth, but that's what you're really hungry for. But you're under the lie that if you just keep on striving and competing and getting and winning, then maybe you'll get full and you won't. Aren't you tired of the competition? The only way to get free of envy is to really see how stupid, how futile, how empty, how dumb the whole game is. To wake up to the shallowness of the whole thing. To even become, in a sense, disgusted with the shallowness of the whole thing. The other day I was watching a show with my wife. It was Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Guys, before you judge me, I'll just tell you that I was watching it to get sermon material. So back off. Okay, I like Oprah, all right? You know, she's got some good things to say. I got, I got my cheerleading section of women here. You go, Greg. Um, so I'm watching the show with my wife. And uh, it was on... Uh, did you guys see this this, this episode a couple days ago on, on women who are obsessed with their looks? You, see, you saw that one? Oh, a couple guys did, too. Good, good. You go, guy. It takes a real man to watch Oprah. And uh, especially when it's on women, isn't it? So, um... It was so sad. There was this lady there, a very nice, attractive 40 year old woman, but she was obsessed with her looks. She was in competition. She envied her daughter because her daughter was only 17 and she was 40. That's rational. And, and because her daughter, you know, hadn't put on the 23 years of pounds that she had in between, and because her daughter got to wear these cute clothes and she has to wear grown up clothes, so she would try to dress like her daughter. And I know, oh, it's like, ow. <laughs> You know, and 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 try to get in, a, and she would pull her hair back really tight to get rid of her wrinkles. And it, it, everybody knew what she was doing. I mean, you look at it; it's like she's got this, you know, like the, the, that face in a wind tunnel look. You know, it's like. Um, but she, she would pull it back. She said to the point where it hurt to try to get rid of the, the wrinkles. And then, of course, there's all these special makeup and all. It took her two hours every morning to get ready to before she'd go out to a grocery store. Two hours to get everything in place. And she had all these tricks that she would use to try to cover up stuff. And other people on this on this program would use uh, liposuction or liposuction and lip augmentation and breast augmentation or breast reduction or or you know rear end augment and not, not augmentation. Uh, (Laughter) I don't know anyone that's going for that one. But, you know, rear reduction and, and, you know, the lasers and the Botox and all the other stuff. And you know what? It's fine to want to look your best. That's not bad. That's kind of a natural thing to look your best. But when it gets to define who you are, when your worth hangs on it, when your identity hangs on it, when it's driving you like this, something is really, really wrong. And, and I, as I'm watching the show, I'm thinking, lady, give up on it. You know, quit stop please and the thing was Oprah made her do that she had to take off all of her makeup for for 48 hours and she looked good you know there's a beautiful way of looking 40 and it's not like you look when you're 17 and there's a beauty to being 50 and a beauty to being 60 and a beauty to being 70 it only becomes ugly when you're 70 and you're trying to look 17 that's not good (laughs) and that doesn't work You know, but if you roll with it, if you're okay with it, if you're natural with it, you know, if you flow with the river of life, there's a contentment there, and a peace there, and a beauty there. But this lady was struggling. You see, here's the thing: if you're trying to hang on to your 17 year old looks and your 17 year old body and and your 17 year old personality, and 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 if that is life to you, if you're if you're living life trying to scrap for that morsel of worth, you're going to lose. You're going to lose, and you know you're going to lose, which is why you're so miserable. Why would you fight a battle that you can't possibly win? Here's my good news for the morning. Men, women, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the looks. You're going to lose the muscles. You're going to lose the hair. You're going to lose the teeth. You're going to lose the house. You're going to lose the car. You know, you're going to lose the possessions. You're going to lose all the stuff you've been striving to acquire. You're going to lose the nice clothes. You're going to lose the nice trim waistline. You came into this world with nothing and that's exactly what you're going to take out of this world. Why fight with it? Why resist that? It's just not smart. It's just not smart. What would you think of me if I entered the Boston Marathon and I put all my worth and all my hope and all my value and all my self-esteem on winning it? That's not going to happen, ever. It's not going to happen. Wouldn't you think I was, something's wrong if I choose that as my battle to fight? Don't fight a battle you can't win. And the thing is, everybody in this competition game, in this mad scrabble to get a morsel of worth, everybody loses. Even those who win, lose. They can't even enjoy the the little scrap they got because they know they're going to lose it on some level of their, their being. They know that someone else might take it. Someone else might get more than them. And so they can't even enjoy it when they get it, and it doesn't fulfill even when they got it. Everybody loses in that competition game. Why would you fight a battle that you can't possibly win? There's only one battle when all is said and done that you can win, and that's the battle that's already been won because it was fought by Jesus Christ, praise God, when he conquered all principalities and powers, opened up the gates of heaven so God's life and love can flow into us. Fight that battle. In fact, that's a battle not only that you can win, it's one that's already been won, and it's one that you can't possibly lose. In fact, not only do you win, you more than win because the Bible says in Romans 8 that if you're in Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror, praise God. That's the life and the love and the worth and the significance and the value and the hope that you were created to live in and enjoy. And He and he alone is the only one that can fulfill it. I understand and am so empathetic and sympathetic to the need that drives people to envy. I, I understand it, the need that, that causes people to, to, to be there. I, I know what it is to have that. Uh, that. That is what we all struggle with. But you see, the illusion, the lie of the devil is that if you just found a little more stuff, got a little more stuff, won a few more morsels, got, you know, got the game a little better, then you get full. And it is a lie. It is a lie. Quit the competition game. Just opt out of the whole system. I'm not playing that gig. And now there can be a contentment there, a peace there that none of the, none of the morsels uh, of, of worth that you can get from this world will ever give you. That's why Paul could say in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content when I have little. I've learned to be content when I have plenty. I know the secret of what it is to be well-fed and to be hungry. Okay, The secret is how to be at peace in the midst of all of that. And then he says, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what he's talking about in this verse is this. You can't will to be at peace in every situation on your own. But when you understand that Christ is in you, Christ flows through you, now you can do all things. You can do that because you're getting life and worth from Christ. You don't need it from the world. You can overflow with it towards others because you're getting it from Christ ahead of time. Praise God. Give up on the competition game. The second thing is just remember what you have. Remember what you have Remember what you have physically. Our culture conditions us to notice what we don't have rather than appreciate what we do have. We look at the 5% of the population on the planet that has more than we have rather than the 94% that has less than we have. And so it creates perpetual longing. It's called capitalism. It's called advertisement. Will Rogers said that the advertising is getting people to spend money they don't have on things they don't need. And, and it works very well in a fallen world. I'm not, not, not knocking capitalism. It creates you know, a lot of money. It, it, it works. But believer, don't be defined by that. Don't, do you really want to be brainwashed by the pattern of this world like that? Addicted to that? Notice what you do have. If you're going to look anywhere else, look to those who, ha, who are beneath you on the pecking order and, and who have less than you have and be thankful for what you have. But the more profound application of this passage... It's just realizing what you have in Christ. Whatever you have in this world, I don't care if you're at the bottom of the pecking order, when you have Christ, you're rich. When you have Christ, you're rich. And to know that. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that uh, he prays that we would have with the wisdom and, uh, of revelation to know what is the glorious inheritance of the saints. He prays that we, our eyes may be opened to have wisdom, instead of this foolish competition game, have wisdom to see what is our hope and the glorious uh, 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 inheritance that we have and the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us. Child of God, you are immeasurably rich. Why would you want to envy what someone else has? You've got a mansion of immeasurable proportions. Why are you envying someone else's house? Why envy someone else's looks when you know that before God you are the radiant bride of Christ, you ravish the heart of God? Think about that. You're beautiful beyond comprehension. Why would you envy someone else's riches when you realize you've got an inheritance that can't begin to be counted? Why would you envy someone else's recognition when you know that God looks upon you when you wake up in the morning? He was staring at you before you woke up. He's staring at you when you go to sleep, and he stares at you all night long. You've got his attention. You're the apple of his eye. Why do you care if someone else gets recognized for something? That's a morsel. You've got a feast. You see? Why, why, would you, why would you envy someone else's clothes when you, when you realize that you've been robed in the immeasurable righteousness of Jesus Christ? Why would you envy someone else's success when you realize that you're going to be crowned with a crown of, of glory? And, and uh, you are in the one who successfully conquered the world. His name is Christ Jesus. Why would you en- envy en- anybody? Why would you envy anyone's promotion when you realize that the minute you die, you're going to be promoted to the status of co-ruler, co-ruler of the earth? Why would you envy anyone's athleticism when, when you know that your, your spiritual body's never going to die? In fact, why would you envy anyone else's body at all when you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are a walking, talking Solomon's temple, decked out. God lives in you. Why would you envy someone else's body? It just doesn't make sense. You're, you're, you're envying a morsel when you've got the feast. In fact, why would you envy, envy anything anyone has when you have got Christ Jesus? when you are sitting with Him in in, in heavenly places, when you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, it says in Ephesians 1, when you have this glorious inheritance, these glorious riches, the glorious righteousness, the joy unspeakable full of glory, why envy someone's comfort when you've got the comforter himself living within you? It just doesn't make sense. Everything the world is scraping for, you have as a gift for free. Give up on the competition game. Savor this. Know it, live in it, dwell in it. And find yourself now being freed from that envy. You just realize the silliness of the game. And you'll find that... Well, that, is, that is freedom itself right there. That is To be content, to be at peace. It doesn't mean you stop fighting for justice issues. We're called to do that. But it does mean you're content with the personal issues. You can still earn as much money as you can. Get stinking rich. I'm praying some people in this congregation get stinking rich. Because... <laughs> If you dedicate it to the Lord, it becomes a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord rich. <laughs> you, know? And, you know, that's how the kingdom can go forward. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't let it define you. Don't get into the game. And the Bible warns, that's the trouble with us rich people. And we're, most of us, pretty rich by world standards. It can lure you into the game. Stay free from the game. Die to the competition. Get your life from Jesus Christ. Two minutes here. Minute number one will go like this. I want, to, uh, no. I want everyone in the, uh, every follower of Jesus to pray right now the Holy Spirit will will move and I want to ask you are you here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ I want you to stand up right now where you are if you just stand up in in your seat I want to pray for you you maybe are tired of, of playing the game you're weary you're empty maybe you once upon a time committed your life to the Lord but you don't have a relationship now would you just stand up I want to take one minute we've got 45 seconds left stand up right where you are anybody here at all need to do that Thank you, sister. Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Be bold. Just stand up. You're just saying a, a, a sign before God, I need Jesus Christ. Over here. Praise God. Over there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Others, Holy Spirit, be moving in this place. Be praying. God, tug on people's hearts. You want, oh, back there. Praise God. A lot of people in the back today are just standing up. A couple of people up front. Anybody else? Brother, praise God. Stand up. Stand up. Amen. Amen wonderful all over the place people are standing up you're recognizing that you're empty and the only way to get full is jesus christ open up your heart and let him flow into you anybody else one more second it's just a sign before god you're saying god i'm going to surrender my life to you not living for me anymore i want to live for you okay i want to lead you all in a prayer right where you're at those that're right around you be praying for them and I want us to join in to in this to the 10 15 people who are standing up. Pray this prayer after me. But pray it from your own heart. Let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, you are God, rightful owner of all I have and all I am. But I confess that I have not lived for you. I am a sinner. I confess it. And I need your mercy. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. And so I ask you, Lord, to come into my life, to forgive my sin, to help me turn and live for you. I need your love, I need your life. Live in me and live through me. I surrender all my life over to you. I quit the competition game and commit myself to living only for you in jesus name amen wonderful wonderful praise god i'm so happy that you did that thank you that's wonderful wonderful that's wonderful praise god praise god amen amen i want to ask you who stood up this morning and any others who maybe prayed that uh that was the beginning you're, you just said I do in a marriage, but an I do does not make a marriage. Uh, and, and so we want to come around you and help you start to learn how to walk in, in this life, how to, how, how to stay free from that competition game. So would you take one minute and come up here. This man over here has, uh, by the table has some information he would love to give you and to get you started on the, on, the, on, the, on the Christian life. Okay, take one minute, come up here, do that. Would the prayer team come forward? And if you're here this morning and have any need that you would like to have prayed for... We invite you to do that. We encourage you to do that. Go out and have an eye towards areas in your life where you begin to envy others. Don't shame yourself for that, but just let it be a reminder that your life is found in Jesus Christ, not in that little crumb of worth. Let go of it, grab onto Jesus Christ, and go out and become outrageous lovers. God bless you. We'll see you.